Well, hello, and welcome back to our podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Anthony Ellison, and uh, Anthony's going to share his perspective on uh, his recovery. And Anthony, I'd just like to start by saying good morning, first of all. It's a beautiful day here in Newcastle, and thanks for having me in your home. Um, just like to ask if you could tell our audience um, a little about who you are. Sure. My name's Anthony Ellison. I'm currently a fitness coach with the Australian Institute of Fitness. Um, I've worked for the last 22 years uh, in, in the fitness industry. So starting off in a, in a council-run facility uh, down in, in Castle Hill, uh, where, I, where I grew up in the western suburbs, or northwestern suburbs, I should say, of Sydney. Um, and spent four years there sort of learning my trade while I was studying uh, health science and human movement degree through the Australian Catholic University. Uh, once I finished up with the uni, uh, I left and tried my hand at working overseas uh, in Whistler. Um, so went there for a ski season, ran out of money very quickly and came running back home. Um, <laughs> and lived back in with the parents, uh, which is very challenging at the age of 22, um, having tasted a little bit of freedom. But uh, yeah, I came back and then was lucky enough to secure employment at Sydney Uni Sport and Fitness uh, as a fitness center coordinator. And there I spent uh, just under nine years all up. So wow. working on the gym floor, um, writing programs and doing fitness assessments for um, students and staff of the university, but also community members as well. Um, and then starting up a falls prevention class for um, academics and alumnus of the university uh, and also community members. And that was really enjoyable. I love my time at Sydney Uni. Uh, and then uh, once that wrapped up, it was about 2012, I Myself and my uh, fiance then, now wife, uh, moved out to Orange. She um, started her medical training out there. So we moved out. Uh, we meant to stay for, for two years and come back, but uh, we ended up staying for four. We bought a house. We had a, um, a beautiful daughter, and um, it really sucked us in. Uh, the, the the Central West, it's a beautiful regional town. And um, I worked out there again, as a full-time um, personal training manager this time. So looking after a team of uh, about seven or eight different PTs, but also dabbled a little bit in group fitness. Um, I also played a mentor for um, graduates of um, a Cert 4 in personal trainer. So they come and do their 30 hours of trainer experience. Um, and that was, yeah, that was really good. I, that was the first taste of actually applying my knowledge and experience um, and, and trying to sort of guide new graduates into um, into the industry, which had given me so much. Um, and then once my wife sort of completed her medical training as a junior doctor, um, she needed to find a bigger centre, and that brought us to Newcastle, um, which we've been now for just over four years. And um, I picked up work with the Australian Institute of Fitness, so I teach the personal training qualification and then also do a little bit of instructor work with F45 Mayfield just around the corner. Um, yeah. And so that's some, some background in the health and fitness industry then. Yeah, yeah. It sucked me in and it hasn't been able to boot me out yet. I love it. Excellent. Okay. You've had a, a very challenging last 18 months. Can you tell our listeners about your diagnosis? 
Sure. Uh, so back in July 2019, I presented to my GP with a sudden and persistent change in bowel habits, sort of just some lin- lingering diarrhea um, that sort of hung around for about 10 days, 10 days or so. It was enough for me to go, all right, I think I'll, I'll go and get a, a check out. And, um, and that started a series of, of blood tests, um, which didn't really show too much. Um, and then a stool test um, after that. And that showed that there was blood in three, uh, all three samples of the stool, uh, which was enough for my GP at the time to send me off for a colonoscopy. So at the age of 39, um, I went and had the colonoscopy um, and I was met at the end of the bed by the colorectal surgeon to tell me that he'd found a mass um, just on the sigmoid rectal junction, um, so quite low in the large intestine. Um, and just through their scans, they, they seemed to think there was some query spots on the liver. Um, and they were sending me for an immediate CT. So they rang my wife. Um, she was on her way. Um, yeah, so basically I waited around for about half an hour. They rushed me through the CT scan and then I had a phone call two days later um, to say, come on into the office. Um, and we sat in the office uh, two days before turning 40. And he said, you've got stage four uh, metastatic bowel cancer um, and it's spread quite badly to your liver. Um, it's in all lobes, so both left and right side of the liver. There's about 20-something uh, metastases that are in there. Um, as a result of that, surgery isn't an option. We're looking to start you on palliative chemotherapy um, in the next week. So that was a pretty um, abrupt stop to my life um, at that time and, and, and a lot of emotions around then, um, obviously sadness and Anger were probably the two early on. Um, just always thought I was doing the right thing, always been active and, and eating well. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't quite put my finger on how this had happened. Uh, I had a small cancer history on dad's side, but nothing. Um, yeah, nothing Sounds anywhere else. very sudden and an mm. enormous shock to you and your, your family. Yeah, it was. It was, um, it was luckily, mum and dad were up. They, they, they were up um, looking after my daughter, who was three at the time, and and it was um, oh, incredibly emotive those those first couple of days. And and you know this was on a Tuesday, and on Friday night um, following, I had my 40th birthday celebrations, which were all my closest mates from school. Um, so I had 12 of my closest mates and their families, about 40 people all up down at the at the big four at, at um, New Minor Beach, and. Um, most of them aware of my news, but some of them I'd told on that day, and and um, that really uh, that really wrestled me out of my um, my mental state at that point, and just realised how much love and support I had, um, and and readied me for the fight. I mean that the following Monday I was going in to get the the portacath put in the in the chest because um, the the chemo regime was going to be too aggressive to put through my my peripheral blood vessels, so. Um, I had a little operation on the Monday and just felt all the all the beautiful emotions of love and and um, and support from friends and family, the kind of you know the kind of words and and thoughts that you have around funerals. You know, when you go and listen to someone's funeral and 
you hear about how amazing they are, but I was lucky enough to receive that that kind of love in um, face-to-face. And it was, yeah, a beautiful weekend. And I made a decision driving home that I was going to do everything within my control to to um, yeah, to not let it beat me and, and, yeah, and rip in. So it was a really different type of birthday celebration. Mm. You know, you weren't. You weren't wrestling a hangover or something like that. No. Um, no. But I guess you, you, to me you sound incredibly appreciative of the people around you and mm. it was a different type of celebration of sorts. Yeah, I think it was. I, I still look back and I even talk with my mates now that, you know, 18 months down the track to be able to, um, yeah, we revisit those those days and, you know, there was a, a time there where we got to about 11.30 at night on the Saturday night and I just grabbed my 12 mates and we went down onto the beach at U Minor and lit a little fire and we sat there and, and just spoke, you know, really openly about everything that was coming up. But um, And then, you know, all the big things but all the little things as well, what was going on in the footy and, you know, what's happening in the cricket and how the kids are going. And we sat there until four or five o'clock in the morning and the sun was starting to come up and <laughs> right, we've got to get up and be parents and husbands and, and that yeah, <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah. So let's call it a day. But yeah, I look back fondly at that that time and that was, you know, that sounds like it's exactly what you needed. It was. Time. Yeah, it was a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, turning up at your house today and remembering you as a, a schoolboy, I think I was your, I was a cricket coach and mm-hmm. you were sort of a 12 or 13 year old cheeky little fella yeah. back then um i look at you now and you're, you're a man and um i've never seen you as an adult um but you're a picture of strength and, and good health um bulging biceps and <laughs> what have you um how many kilos do you weigh um so i'm at 70 i've wrestled around the 70 for most of the yeah. probably the last decade okay uh, yeah that's and, my mark and you bench press how much well, I set myself a little target, 100 kilo uh, bench press for a 2RM. Um, was uh, I achieved that last month, yeah. Right. And you're running five kilometres in how long? I just broke the 20-minute barrier. I did a 19.32 about, uh, about three weeks ago. Wow. So. so, you know, these are some feats that some people without a cancer diagnosis would just be in awe of, right? Um, how important has exercise been for you physically, like, it seems to have made a big impact on you and uh yeah how important has it been Mm. um well exercise has always been a very big part of my life not only working in fitness but um i described it the other day as i get a psychological cuddle out of training and training at intensity and and I, i never really understood um how important it was until I was unable to train at the intensity that I wanted to. So once chemo was underway, had a lot of barriers thrown at me and, and you know, obviously the, the symptom management side of things with exercise was something where I spent a lot of time researching and looking into, you know, I didn't particularly, when we sat down with, with the nurse and she gave me the eight-page booklet of side effects on my, on my protocol, she also gave me a bucket worth of, um, anti-nausea medication, you know, all sorts of different types of meds and said, when this happens, take this. And then I started to look into the research and realised that exercise can can help with a lot of those things as much as I didn't want to, um, didn't feel like exercising. I knew that if I got up, not only is it improving the delivery of the chemotherapy to the, to the tumour cells, um, but it was also making me feel better. So my nausea was going away. Um, I actually felt like 
I was back at my normal, and that's what, when you when you get a diagnosis such as stage four, or any cancer diagnosis or long term um, illness, your normal is is taken away, and so you try and wrestle and fight that back. And for me, exercise is my normal, so I really wanted to find ways that I could continue to be a functioning member of my family for starters, still be a dad, and walk my daughter to school, and you know have enough energy for Olive when she came home, and wanting to download on the day, but also be a husband to my wife as well. Um, and and I knew if they could look out and see, all right, dad's training in the garage, everything's all right, he must be feeling okay. So that was at the forefront of my mind throughout the whole journey, still is. Um, and I missed I missed two days in the whole year um, that I was in, you know, had two major abdominal surgeries. I had almost six months worth of chemotherapy, but I missed two days of training and I made up for it on the day after because I double double session. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And and you've touched there too on just um, exercise from a mental health point of view. But do you, do you feel as though it sort of helped you in other ways mentally as well? Like has it helped you with your your confidence? Um, you know, yeah. I know that um, sometimes people with with cancer can feel like um, yeah lacking confidence and just just they feel vulnerable mm. in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, it has, has it helped you in that way? Yeah, it has. I think um, I try and play mind games with myself and, and almost try to convince myself that I'm, I'm still fit and healthy, knowing that maybe it doesn't look good on the blood test results and and at face value and, and following a prognosis that looks pretty poor. But um, the, the mental thing I really... I've really battled with uh, to and froed with it a lot and tried to work out strategies to, to to get in front of the low days which you know as you go on a, a chemo cycle it's every two weeks and you, you you're infused for for me it was two days and then you'd feel really bad for another two days after that then you'd start to get out of it but um so the the mental capacity went went with that as well um and I found Meditation and mindfulness was vital um, to to my well being. I, I had very um, very deep conversations and very existential com- conversations with mates and friends and family about you know life and death. And um, we had conversations, my wife and I, very early on in the process about you know the implications to Olive growing up. And you know, um, so yeah, I found exercise just i don't know it was almost an escapism uh, it went hand in hand i play drums as well i've got a, an electronic drum kit and that was enough for me to to be able to go in and really focus on the music and not think about anything else you can't when you're playing drums you got to listen to to everything else so i found strategies to work around the barriers um and, and it's given you some clarity i guess yeah yeah clarity of thought yeah and that alongside alongside a very strong network around me and not just friends and family but i'd created an allied health network that were not only on the same page they were holding the same pen like Mm. everyone was on the same exactly the same path they knew that i was driven in my approach that i wanted to control what i could control so they kind of gave me a little bit of of a kick up the butt when needed Mm. and then just pointed me in the right direction they were really in tune with you mm. and uh, understanding what was important to you and, yeah. and, and particular elements of what you were looking to achieve and exactly what your problem was and yeah. how severe it 
clearly was as well. Yeah. So and you I had think... to have some really difficult conversations with people. Yeah, I did early on, and I, th- I brought them up. I, th- I think it had to come from me because, um, again, I did a lot of inward thinking and a lot of diary writing in the early days that I still revisit and and um, and sort of throw myself back into those emotions um, quite often because I think it is important to to know how far you've come and um, and to accept these things, but. I've, I've, I've been very vulnerable with my family. Um, I created a, a private Instagram account um, that allowed my family and my friends to for me to update them directly rather than to load up my wife and my family with trying to, you know, update all the surgeries, how's he going, you know, how the blood's looking, all those little intricacies in the cancer space that, um, it just came from me. And have others said, like your friends and family said, that's helped them as well? Yeah, and to the point where other people have recommended these processes to to other friends that are going through similar things. And um, I don't know, it just kind of made sense to me. I think my approach and the way that I was going to deal with this affects all those closest to me. So that that's always been at the forefront of my mind is just you've you've got to... You've, you've got to take it on and you've got to show everyone that, you know, you've got control. Yeah. The moment you've got control. And, yeah. and it's important to help those around you that are in turn helping you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that. Um, yeah, a lot of that going both ways. Mm. Sounds as though you are you're committed to, I guess, planned exercise versus, you know, just doing something versus, you know, sleeping when you're feeling tired and sick why did you make that commitment to planned exercise why was that so important to you um i think for me early on in the process looking at the research and realizing that exercise is something that that i need to to do for me to feel normal but also to um to help my body along through the process um i just called on some of the things that i'd teach so in, through the personal training qualifications and things that I've learned previously around accountability and goal setting. Um, so I'd set myself little, you know, little goals for the month. Um, I had multiple goals in between the two major surgeries that I had. Uh, so I had a liver resection and a bowel resection about eight weeks apart. Um, and I set targets for, because um, my mobility was affected, I did 30 yoga classes in 30 days um, to improve my mobility. Um, So that was nice and planned. I set some silly running goals, like trying to break 22 minutes for 5K in between those two surgeries. Um, But it became methodical. And as more and more people jumped onto my um, my Instagram page and and actually jumped on, on, with the goals as well. So I, I was actually training people remotely to run for a 5K event while I was training and learning again. Um, so I found planned exercise a way of of tapping into the the tips and tricks that PTs have and, you know, measure what gets measured gets results. So actually getting a baseline, setting a plan, following through the plan and actually getting results at the end of it and then finding something different to focus on. Yeah. And I did that at least 10 times throughout 2020 um, in the midst of COVID. Um, yeah, setting those little goals, following the plan that I'd outlaid, and, and it got me 
um, to where I needed to be. Wow. Your, your body, though, is probably telling you the opposite at times, you know, rest, I'm tired, uh, but you kept going with your routine. Did keeping your routine itself help you, you know, you know, just keeping that sense of uh, order help you and how so? It did. It felt, it felt if, I, if I was able to train, and as I said previously, I, sometimes I didn't want to, most of the time I didn't want to in those infusion weeks, but um, I knew it felt better at the end. So I knew as hard as this next half hour was going to be, and we're not talking about, you know, high intensity sort of training. This was enough for me to go wander down the road to the stairs and do a couple of, you know, 10 or 12 laps of the stairs and maybe some, some push pull TheraBand work and like really simple stuff, but I'd write it down, I'd record it so I could show myself improvement. Um, and and I was then also accountable to the the two hundred people on my Instagram that would be like, oh, you said you were going to train this morning. Oh, yeah, all right, I'm out. And if I could do it, that meant they could do it. You know, they'd they'd go out and they'd be on the walk with me from Sydney or uh, friends in Melbourne doing the same. So it was, I don't know, it created this beautiful little virtual environment that that I craved, and and that was enough to drive me. Yeah, that's mm. fabulous. Great. Well. As well as the people around you on that that social network group, um, I sense you felt accountable to your wife and your daughter and family to keep to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it helped them to see you were taking control and doing some activity, even though you're really knocked around? Yeah, I think my my wife would be the first one to tell to tell me that she she would know if I hadn't trained that day or if you know didn't get the session on in the morning she'd notice it in me. I'd be a little bit less in energy, maybe a little bit more short and, and, and wouldn't be present in the afternoon when, when Olive got back from, from daycare. So she knew how important exercise was for me and it became a priority in those little windows where I did feel well, which is ordinarily between about 8 and 10 most of the mornings. I'd have that little window where, you know, I'm well-fed, had a good brekkie, had a couple of good hours sleep, um, and that was the time. So I just stuck with that window. And, um, and yeah, if I didn't train, Claire would be right onto me. She'd go, you didn't do any exercise this morning, did you? Get out in the garage, do you? Jump on the spin bike and do some pedaling. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was enough to get us through. And it provided a little bit of, um, a little bit of continuity, I think, and, and a planned approach to what was a massive unknown and we had no idea what was going on with COVID and how at risk everything was. So I just knew that if I could be meticulous with my exercise, then I had control over something. Yeah. That's great. And so you're working um, and you know, you're working, I think part time and working in the health and fitness industry. <laughs> yeah. How has work alone helped with your recovery? Work was great. And I, I I don't think I'll say this too often, but COVID actually was a, a blessing uh, for my work. Um, it enabled us. We, we moved, obviously, from face-to-face delivery of sessions to virtual. Um, so I was able to continue with some creative work from the HR department at the Institute. But um, I was able to continue grading um, online submissions and, and look at video um, videoed sessions that the students were was sending through. So I was able to keep my foot in the door and that provided escapism as well. 
Um, obviously, I had to step back from from F forty five and more face to face work. Uh, but for the six months where I was incapacitated, I really couldn't um, do much more than than leave the house for a for a little wander around the street. Um, I was able to sort of lock myself away in the room and and actually contribute, and and it did take my mind off it. It was um, it was very different, but I learned a lot, a whole new uh, as most people did, moving into virtual platforms, learning how to deliver sessions online, and you know I had to deliver an anatomy session about three weeks after I got out of bowel surgery and um, in a virtual, you know, from my own living room to a, a, a virtual room of 20, you know, 20 students. So that was, uh, I was a little slow, I must say. I blamed it on the chemo for the guys, but, um, That's right. but no, they were, uh, they were well receptive and, and um, it, it really was good to be able to, to keep my foot in the door of employment. Yeah. Excellent. And so you've also, um, we've been chatting here this morning about your building a network around you. And you, you mentioned to me uh, when we were chatting that you've sort of surrounded yourself with an allied health team. Could you just tell us a little bit about the, the team that you drew mm-hmm. on and how you worked with those people? Yeah. So I, uh, after round one of chemo, so this is November 2019, I was recommended to head down to the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse so down in Sydney opposite RPA and meet with a supportive oncologist called Judith Lacey. Um, and she works obviously in the oncology space but looks after um, they call it supportive and integrative care in the oncology space. So um, everything from nutrition, exercise, uh, mindfulness, meditation, reflexology, um, physios, EPs. That basically she looks at all the other things that can um, that can support more, I guess, Westernized you know medical approaches. So the chemo, the radio, and the surgeries. And I sat in with her. I could have I could have sat there for the whole day because um, incredibly um, bright and and just a real a real. It was the first. Allied Health or, you know, first medical professional I'd sat in on that actually gave me hope. And and what she was saying sort of resonated with me. So she's, you know, she, she spoke a lot about the importance of nutrition and diet. So I made immediate changes to my diet. Um, I went and spoke with an accredited practicing dietitian and, and got a little bit of guidance around um, what can I eat during chemo that, um, <clears throat> that won't affect my you know the neuropathy or the mucous membrane that how that wears away so I, I learned to pick the right foods to have at certain types at certain times in that two-week cycle and then i met with a, a psychologist so obviously with a with a chronic illness um i was put on a mental health care plan um and partially funded by medicare so i was able to go to 10 sessions with a psychologist and that was every eight weeks um started off being very you know very heavily emotive around um you know how messed up my life was now but she gave me homework each each time i sat in with her and things to work on and you know relationship things with my, my wife and my daughter but also big picture things and started to think about um you know what what the future is going to look like and how i need to approach it and social situations and things I met with an exercise physiologist as well to just to make sure and get someone in my camp just to say, yeah, you're on the right track. Things things you're doing are right on. Um, and that's what I got from them. 
I had reflexology as an outpatient from um, my second surgery, so coming in and that helped with the, the peripheral neuropathy, so that tingling and numbing in the feet and hands. Um, my physio, uh, so I was getting massage every week, which again was helping with the feet, um, and that lingered for about 12 months after I'd, uh, I'd ceased the chemo. It's still, you know, it took a while for that to phase out. But um, I've still got that network around me. I'm meeting with a naturopath to look at my diet, manage bowel symptoms now. It's, um, I don't know, I, I've always taught it as a, the importance of a personal trainer is to have strong network for referrals, mm. but also to, you know, to create a really supportive environment around your clients and your business. So I just applied that to my, to my own approach. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's paying dividends at the moment. Absolutely, mm. yeah. That's great. Um, Anthony, you, you also uh, spoken uh, about uh, drawing on evidence. So you searching for medical evidence and trying to apply that where you could find evidence. So how's that helped you? Yeah, that was, uh, that was largely driven by my wife, obviously doing, she's done an undergraduate degree and then post-grad medicine and then training to be an emergency doctor. In the, in the medical profession, obviously, everything is evidence-based practice. It's all, you know, look at the research. This is how we're going to treat this particular condition. And and so Claire's always been very supportive of my um, endeavours in research and looking into to getting an understanding. The unfortunate thing, which I realised after a couple of weeks of going pretty deep into research, is the whole, you know, with stage four, a lot of the research is, is is targeted at a normal presentation of stage four. So a 68-year-old, this is in Australia, a 68-year-old with comorbidities, poor diet, lack of exercise. So the research didn't really ring true with me. And then long-term research, there was never any people around long enough to have you know data that's longer than five years. So a lot of the data was looking at a one-year and a two-year survival rate, and that was it. So I was like... I plan on living a little longer than that. So um, I use the evidence kind of to, to fuel myself and, and know, all right, these are the things I need to spend a bit of time in. But largely it was an anecdotal approach um, to, to evidence-based practice, yeah, which kind of is a juxtaposition when you think of it, but that's what worked. You were trying to draw lessons out of the research yeah. that might apply to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay, great. Well... Um, it's, it's just gone on 12.30 and I believe you have a, a client I at do. 1 o'clock for Can't the stop me. training session. Yeah. This man go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you're also, um, though just more, more seriously, you're, you're waiting for a call from a, your specialist. Mm-hmm. Um, you've just had some more scans done and just waiting to find out um, what, what might be showing on those scans to, to see if you need some more treatment. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, um, yeah, you're, you're not out of the woods by any means, but you've just got that that mindset that's just going to put you in the best possible position to deal with any challenge that is thrown your way. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's that's been my my focus again from from early on is to control what I can control. I know that stage four cancer is 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 constantly moving. Um, so you'll have your good weeks and you make the most of those and then scans come around and the anxiety lifts and, and so, yeah, I mean, at the moment it's just, I mean, that blissful bit in between having the scan and just waiting for the results, which is a little nervous, but 
Um, I know that I've got my body in a condition now that uh, regardless of what happens, if I've got to go back in for surgery or if there's radio or chemo, um, I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, and that's that's been my approach from the, from the onset. It's just, um, I just need to yeah get my, my body ready and then um, I'll let the professionals deal with their, their things. Well, there we have it. Anthony, thanks so much uh, for sharing your story. No worries. And, thanks uh, a lot. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, cheers. Thanks okay. a lot. Thank you.